In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. We're here with the one and only Cole Butler. You may have seen him uh, doing working on some clinical trials. You may have seen some work that he's published. You may have given him a call and gotten a free consultation from Lionheart <laughs> Wellness. You may have seen him on LinkedIn. Or, or wait for it, you might be on the wait list to get his brand new book, Love, Pain, and Divinity. Cole Butler, I'm so excited to talk to you, and I am so thankful you're here. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me back. It's, you know, it's super cool. The last podcast you had me on, we were talking about poetry, and at the end there, we were like, gosh, I should publish that book finally. (laughs) And, um, man, that kind of set everything in motion. Um, I attended a webinar with Randall Hansen, our mutual friend uh, and author, (laughs) um, about the publication process. And it just illuminated me to, you know, all the work that goes into that. And I just said, well, what if I already have a manuscript? I just want to throw it out there. Anyway, that started the downstream cascade of figuring out the self-publication process. And yeah, it was a lot easier, you know, just just putting together the manuscript and having something ready to go. And so anyway, one thing led to another. Um, Now it's available online. Um, I'm getting my proof copy in tomorrow. Everything should look good, um, but I'll just double check once I have that book in person um, and say we're good to go. Um, But it's available for sale right now on lulu.com at love, pain, and divinity you just search for it so super exciting uh and then once i proof check it it will be available i believe on the major retailers amazon and all that stuff so super wild it's it's crazy to even say that out loud so yeah i'm stoked yeah i i'm stoked and i think that a lot of other people are going to be stoked when they get to peer in there and for some people that are in that may be friends with you on linkedin I think a lot. I think there are a lot of people who are not a stranger to the way in which you write, and I think that you already have a customer base with a lot of those people. I, I think that you have, you have a way with words, and I, which leads me to one of my first questions. One of the first questions I was thinking about as I was thinking about the conversation today is, was there one early experience, or can you share an early experience with us where you realized that language had power? Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> well, part of me feels like I I always felt that way. Actually, you know what? Actually, something comes to mind um being being an undergrad at community college. <laughs> I was kind of a for lack of better words a shithead 
teenager um, with divorced parents and, you know, on a path of destruction and rebellion. And uh, I guess it's maybe not that words have power, but that my words were good. (laughs) And I had never considered it before, which led me to like, look at the value of my own words and writing capability. Um, So I had like an English composition one and two professor and I was in community college in my hometown, just struggling. Um, And, you know, we had to write essays and things. And this guy, he was just so passionate about reading and writing. And it just, he had that infectious passion. And, you know, I just had to write some essays for his class. And I didn't think I was doing anything crazy or revolutionary or anything. But he just told me, like, hey, man, this is really good. I just wish you would write more, you know. And I was really just, like, trying to get my assignments done and whatever. And that kind of made me realize, like, wow, like, he actually thinks I'm kind of good at this. Um, And then similarly, I... I did two years at community college and then transferred to university. And when I switched my major to psychology, I took a philosophy course, which I was fascinated by. I I was blown away intro to philosophy uh, in my junior year. And we had these TAs um, and one of them, uh, I would sit in his kind of extra class because it was, it was for people that didn't understand it in the main class. You'd go over things more anyway. Um, he graded my exams and I remember in one of them, I got a 98 and he just said like, man, like this is really good. Uh, I I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said, I think he said, consider taking more philosophy classes. Um, So I just recognized on these written essays, you know, I would really, I would go home and I'd look at the arguments and I'd practice the questions. I type everything out. um, And I just, that like, as philosophy like struck me. And so then I took a course on philosophies, philosophy of physics, um, specifically uh, the measurement problem in quantum mechanics, which was fascinating, like a, a seven person class, maybe nobody cared um, <laughs> except me and one other guy. One day it was just me and one other guy and the professor. <laughs> and it was like, wow, this is what's going on here. <laughs> Um, And then I also took a a philosophy course in contemporary ethical theory, which was really cool. I got to learn about modern theories of ethics. But anyway, those kind of things were really inspiring to me with writing. um, And I really saw through that just ideas um, and, and writing about them. And I started to realize that, yeah, I kind of have a, a weird way with words, (laughs) um, And so, yeah, it's, it's been interesting as you alluded to how that translates um, on LinkedIn and how, you know, I'm kind of finding my particular writing style, my kind of platform for, for what I write and my audience. So it's been really cool to see. Yeah, that's, it's always interesting to me to ask that question because I, I feel like it does build a good foundation or you at least you get to maybe pull back the curtain and see a little bit of how the gears are turning together mm. and stuff. And I, I may know the answer to this one or I may not, but I thought <laughs> it would be a good question for the audience. And okay. do you view writing as a, as a kind of spiritual practice? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it depends too, you know, like it's funny, I'm just coming off of getting some super critical feedback, harsh feedback on a scientific manuscript um, that I've been working on for a year and a half. And one of my professors, he just ripped it to shreds and said, I didn't read past the intro. This is terrible. Uh, Take my name off the paper, basically. And I'm like, Jesus, (laughs) I thought I was a good writer, but... (laughs) Anyway, um, I I say that to draw the fact that there are many different types of writing. Um, And I feel like I tap into a different energy, um, depending on the type of writing I'm doing. Um, So, you know, as you and I talked about on the last podcast, there's this kind of poetic headspace that I go into where I just kind of let the words flow out of me. 
Um, and then, you know, there's technical writing where I'm having to read a bunch of papers and try to translate that and understand like cell biology and like the different theories of psychedelic brain action and just tease all that apart and put it into something, uh, you know, co comprehensible um, and into an argument structure. Um, and that's just a different, totally different kind of writing. Um, and that's not a spiritual practice. <laughs> um, and then, you know, there's my kind of journaling, which can be, uh, it sort of taps into spiritual practice. You know, I, I can sit there and journal for a long time, but it's also like um, processing in this sort of mechanical sense, like taking these ideas and putting them down and yeah, just kind of like letting my brain really like um, clarify information. And then there's a real deep to me uh, spiritual writing, which I really like hold is sacred when I'm really struggling and I really need guidance. I'll sit down and I'll take a few deep breaths and I'll say a little prayer to like really let, you know, um, what needs to come through, come through. And I will sort of let the words take over. You know, it's not what I want to write. I'm figuring out, I'm just kind of letting my hand flow or type. Um, and I don't even remember where I quite picked that that process up from, but that's a really deep sort of spiritual writing. And I can really tap into something outside of myself and get some, you know, critical guidance. And I'm always blown away when I do that kind of writing, because what comes back to me is just really, you know, magical, um, which I think I kind of, you know, tapped into that in some degree in this book with some of the poems. Uh, the last one, especially, uh, I think was transmission and is sort of this divine information uh, transmission, which, you know, I, I tried to kind of, um, well, I don't even want to say I tried to, but, you know, some of these poems um, are reflections of this connection, I would say, which is kind of what gets into the last section there, divinity. I kind of classed all these poems into what I thought they fell into. It, it wasn't planned out. I just looked at all my poems and I said, these ones are related to like love and these ones are related to pain <laughs> and these ones are related to divinity. And then I just kind of like sorted them out and put them in different categories. Yeah, it's it's... When I read the title, I really liked the title. I really liked the book. And I I thought to myself, there's a weird sort of thread that runs through all those things, love, pain, and divinity. Mm -hmm. Is that can you talk a little bit about the title? Like is that what you were thinking when the title came up? Or was these just three sections of your life or three things that you felt the most? But what what was it that really struck an accord with you, this this title? Yeah, well, you know, yeah, it, it came out of what the book was in a way like, um, you know, after our last podcast, I, like I said, I went through all my poems, and I just kind of copied and pasted them into, uh, into a document. And um, as I was doing this, you know, a few ones got pruned out of there, ones that I'd already used, or that didn't quite fit the theme or whatever. And I looked at what was left over. And I kind of saw that, you know, some of these were related to some kind of emotional processing I was yeah. doing, trying to to find love and connection and relationship um, and a lot of struggles, different relationships um, that were really like um, difficult and just trying to process through and, and feel through all that. And so, you know, a lot of the poems I would just write had to deal with that. Um, that was my sort of deeper emotional processing. Um, and then also, you know, sometimes I would write a poem because I'd be in a really like um, dark headspace, mm. you know, and like recently is this is pretty dark. But <laughs> um, an ex-girlfriend of mine, uh, her name was Bailey Toth. Um, we dated about seven years ago. And after we broke up, she dated a couple of these guys in my hometown and had some kids. And about a week ago, um, she was murdered. She was shot Whoa. and murdered by her husband. And she was pregnant, too. Oh. Um, just devastating, you know. 
And then he shot and killed himself right after murdering her. And uh, man, it's just like stuff like that takes you to such a, a dark place. You know, and similarly, you know, some of the poems in this book, um, you know, uh, one of them is about the shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And it ends with kind of where was our hero to capture, mm. you know, what I was going through hearing about these 21 children involved in the school shooting Um who, yeah, who didn't have a hero, these cops, they all kind of stood back and nobody would go in and it lasted like an hour and it was just like terrible, man, terrible. So, you know, some of, some of these poems um, were kind of, are kind of processing through some of these difficult emotions. You know, I also had a, one of my best friends, Cody, his dad died from COVID he was like 53, no complicating conditions, probably not in the best health, but right. no like, you know, on paper conditions. And he died um, of COVID. And so, you know, one one poem, I believe I called it Pandemic, was about, about that. Um, and it ends with a man tragically dying alone in a room. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it, this isn't all bright, bright and springy, you know, it's, that, that's kind of the pain section. Um, and then divinity is kind of like also that, like tapping into, to the other side, you know, something I'm fascinated by, um, the other side of life, the mystical, the ethereal. Um, and so, you know, a lot of those poems are just kind of like, yeah, tapping into that. I think, uh, the theme of sacredness mm. uh, comes up a lot um, in divinity and, and secret treasures and things of this nature. And so, um, yeah, that, that section kind of covers a lot of that. And then so I, yeah, I realized in writing all these down that, you know, I, I wasn't trying to, but a lot of my poems were fitting into these three categories as love, as pain and divinity. And so that's how the name came about. And then, um, you know, I think over the whole, there's sort of a, a story arc in the kind of traditional story sense of like things are good and then something goes wrong. And then like you're kind of caught up in the drama of like what's happening. And then at the end, there's like a reunion um, <laughs> sometimes in the case, I guess, of a comedy or something positive. <laughs> Or in the case of a tragedy, you know, not so much something terrible happens. But I think, you know, having this structure of kind of like stepping in with love and then the pain is kind of the difficulty and then divinity is kind of a return uh, to the divine. And so sort of the, the arc, I guess, is that, you know, there's this connection and then there's this anguish and then there's a reconnection um, to something greater than and you know, through a lot of my struggles and strife uh, in my personal life, whenever something goes wrong, it kind of calls me back into my spiritual practice and like says, I need to beef this up because I need a way to like get through this, something to lean on. And so that's kind of what, um, what that is, I guess. And sort of also within the love section, there's a meta narrative of, um, like I said, you know, these, these relationships that, um, that I was struggling with and, and kind of, yeah, just, just going from when I really thought like I was obsessed with this, this girl and it just totally took a nosedive, um, <laughs> really. Uh, and then had these other relationships and they weren't going anywhere and then found my current partner, um, Shannon and, we decided to have a baby together um, and she's totally just like my person. And so at the very end of that chapter, it's sort of a tribute to my, my daughter on the way. So, so there's kind of that meta narrative in that first chapter and then the kind of overall narrative. Yeah. So it just kind of arose, I guess, which is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. I've heard a lot of people say, and there tends to be a, I guess a narrative around author's first book and they say usually an author's first book is autobiographical and I'm, mm -hmm. and it sounds to me like how, how much 
do you think that this particular set of poems is an autobiography of Cole Butler's life? Yeah, and in a sort of removed way, in a sort of emotional, yeah, right, ethereal right, right. way, for sure. Um, you know, I've talked with you before about <laughs> my career transitions yeah. and yeah, working on clinical trials. This is not a documentation of, of that, but, you know, certainly, yeah, the more personal side of my life and you know, I didn't really have an audience in mind <laughs> for all these poems when I wrote them. Um, it really was sort of my own um, trying to tap into something else, trying to express my creative side, trying to deal with difficult emotions or um, tap into something beautiful and magical. Um, so, so that side of myself, certainly that, um, you know, has unfortunately been repressed in the professional space <laughs> very much, um, you know, kind of gets its moment to, to shine. And I think that's, what's really, um, you know, I think a lot of what the world needs right now is a sort of reconnection, rekindling with that, uh, divine element or the artistic, um, side, the, sort of other side of life um and you know there's not a whole lot of space right now in the professional realm for for those kinds of things and so but that's kind of a, a somewhat private and personal yeah. um experience that i've gone through throughout my also trials and tribulations of trying to make money and trying to you know make a name for myself and all that stuff so this is kind of the the behind the scenes almost um <laughs> autobiography and yeah if you kind of understand what's going on in me writing this and the kind of story behind how all this came about um and what i was going through i think that kind of puts the context to to sort of see yeah um you know who i am behind uh you know writing these poems yeah it's it's beautiful it's like have you ever seen those pictures like a it's like a, uh, yeah, they, they take a picture of something and then they can just speed it up or slow it down. It's usually like a nature picture. But like seeing, yeah. reading some of this and just seeing everything you're doing is like watching a flower unfold and like just <laughs> boom, like this radiant beauty. Like, whoa, look at this. Get this thing blowing up. It's so beautiful. You know, I, I, I really, I really admire it. I, and it makes me think about, my mind goes to pilgrimages somehow. And I, when I think when a lot of authors write books, Sometimes they'll go on a pilgrimage to be inspired or sometimes mm -hmm. the, the work actually feels like a pilgrimage or sometimes people go inward for a pilgrimage. I'm wondering, was there any sort of pilgrimage that you took in order to be inspired by this book? Yeah, well, you know, I am from a small town, <laughs> Hot Springs, <laughs> Arkansas. Um, a town of now about 40,000, I think, wow. within the city limits. Um, really beautiful place, um, but not a whole lot of opportunities there. And I think, you know, a lot of people grow up, even if you grow up in like the most awesome place you want to get out of your hometown, there's something about coming of age there. But, yeah. you know, um, I, in my early 20s, I'm 27 now, but in my early 20s, I was really inspired by Jordan Peterson, um, certainly a controversial figure now. <laughs> and sure. uh, anyway, but um, he helped me a lot, uh, really, with kind of getting getting my life together. And he also has this uh, life philosophy of getting out there and, and conquering the dragon. Um, and like also in the Pinocchio sense, yeah. Geppetto wishing upon a star, you know, and, and I really embodied that philosophy for a long time. Um, you know, my life philosophy is uh, shifting now to one that I would consider more uh, Eastern Buddhist um, present moment kind of focused. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that was always um, a, a guide for me and how do I structure, how do I orient my life? Um, and so my sort of, you know, dream so high or uh, what's the saying? set your aim so high that you shoot for the stars and land, shoot land for the, the moon, moon, something like that. <laughs> shoot for the stars, you'll land on the moon, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. So 
anyway, you know, I have always like had this vision in my mind of honestly, I mean, it sounds somewhat conceited maybe, but of being, you know, a star, like mm -hmm. really having a, a really broad impact. Um, and I've held myself to a standard um, to, to do that. And I, have this you know idea I, I don't even like saying it out loud but um you know that that i'm going to hold myself to a different standard because i have this belief about myself that i'm capable that i can reach further and then that has you know made me more strict with myself and also made me like reach reach higher um and so you know probably the main thing was getting out of arkansas <laughs> um and and going to to maryland which was kind of like you know the the desert i would say in a lot of ways <laughs> um or mordor or whatever theme you want to apply there was a lot of <clears throat> pain and suffering mm. trying to like reach my goal which my you know my major goal was phd but then i set it even higher i like really clearly said I want to be a professor in a university studying LSD and the treatment of substance use disorder. And so, I mean, you know, within that, there's so much breaking down of the cultural paradigm, mm -hmm. um, not only getting into a PhD, which like the one I applied to and didn't get into recently, there's 300 people that applied for five spots that were open. And that's pretty standard amongst any PhD program. And so anyway, the point is that I continue to try to reach for, you know, a PhD, but then also a psychedelic PhD yeah. in a university is extremely competitive. Um, and that took me to, to Maryland where things really hit the fan. I was mistreated. Um, I realized that it wasn't worth it. Like I was going to sacrifice every bit of myself for for a deeply flawed system i was gonna sacrifice my personal integrity and everything and so that was a really hard um, journey and then uh, after a year i served out my one-year contract uh, and went back home to, to hot springs and then trying to get back on my feet was just um terribly difficult um and uh yeah. And so it was like middle of the pandemic, basically like one year into the pandemic or maybe six months, I want to say when I went back to hot springs. Um, and yeah. And then so I ended up getting invited to live in Destin, Florida, um, which ended up happening for five weeks with um, a childhood best friend, actually two of my childhood best friends, um, Anna uh, and Aiden. And so, um, Anna's dad is a multi-million dollar CEO. He has an led lighting company that he started in the eighties and he's just a miserable man. <laughs> you know, he's rich as hell, flashy and just a dick, honestly. <laughs> and <laughs> I know some people just like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of us do. So, um, Anyway, he has a one and a half million dollar beach home in Destin, Florida. Beautiful. So I'm sitting here in the middle of the pandemic working remotely um, in Hot Springs, Arkansas, still working for, for the University of Maryland, actually, at this point in time. And this kind of all weaves into the into the book. But um, yeah, just uh, yeah, while I was still with the University of Maryland working remotely in Hot Springs, I, I went to Destin lived in this beach home and you know I got this idea in my mind um, after being friends with this girl Anna for 10 years um, that her and I were you know there was something about us we had always kind of been attracted to one another but we're just kind of platonic friends um, but nothing ever really happened between us. I got this idea in my head that, well, wow, we've been able to keep up this relationship for so long. There must be something about this that means that, you know, we would work as a couple or whatever. Um, and so while in, in Florida, she was dating this other guy, Amos, and 
uh, his dad is an ex Goldman Sachs CEO, hedge fund manager, uh, worth over a billion dollars. Um, and this guy, Amos, I mean, he's just a real fail, um, real kind of like, I mean, I don't know how, like if your dad has over a billion dollars, you as a young man take any responsibility to be fair, because what's your incentive when everything is handed to you? Um, Anyway, I'm kind of bouncing around with the story and, you know, trying not to get all into the details, but um, essentially uh, things kind of became competitive uh, between me and Amos over this girl, Anna. Um, And uh, I eventually told her that, you know, I liked her and, uh, you know, nothing came out of it. She was kind of upset. She didn't want to leave um, her toxic relationship with this guy. Um, but I was convinced, you know, that, that we were meant to be together. Um, and yeah, and, and it just didn't happen. And at the end of that five weeks in Destin, I went back to hot springs and received a call one morning and it was a death threat, um, from, uh, from Amos. And he said, you slept with my girlfriend, which I didn't. Um, and that he had already arranged to have my skull caved in in Washington, D.C., because I was about to move back to Washington, D.C. at that point, and that basically he was going to use his dad's money to get away with it. And I just said, man, like, what what the fuck is wrong with you? I tried to file a police report, but uh, this guy was based out of New York. Nothing came of it, but I was like, these people – you know, this is dangerous. You know, I, I don't want to be associated with her. I don't want to be associated with him. Um, and so I blocked both of them. And then I haven't spoken to Anna since, and it's been years. And like I said, she was a friend of mine for, for 10 years. Um, she's also in like a bad mental headspace. Um, but you know, I cared about her for a long time And, uh, yeah. And so anyway, that was like a lot of, I think what sparked up such a visceral internal emotion that my very first poem, which is the first poem in the book is, um, something that doesn't rhyme, but is like rife with emotion, which is, yeah, dedicated essentially to her or was written thinking about her, um, and some of the strife that that went along with that um and that really sparked my poetic journey um kind of dealing with a lot of the emotions around that um in any way so i went back to washington dc um right after that um that's when shit hit the fan really um covid political tensions Mm -hmm. that was washington dc like uh four or five months before the capitol riots um you know, right before the Trump Biden reelection, the whole thing. So it was tense. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so that's when I went back to Hot Springs and, and had all the career struggles that eventually led me to Colorado. But, um, you know, poetry started to become a an outlet, a creative outlet um, when I kind of had nothing else. Um, uh after I came back from Washington, D.C. and came back home. And uh, and yeah, so that, that kind of sparked that. And then I always kind of held on to it. I actually started an Instagram page that I, I quit doing, but I would write my poems with a fountain pen. I love fountain pens. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like a nice pen. I would write them in a nice notebook with a fountain pen and I would add like some little nice crystals or gems or rocks or whatever. And I kind of stage a nice photo with some nice lighting and I put them on Instagram. It just wasn't really the right um, platform, I think, for, for my poems. And so I stopped that. And then coming to Colorado, my career really took off. And so my time and investment in poetry kind of dwindled as I started to become more busy, but poetry still, you know, it it had sunk into me at that point and it had become my, my outlet. Um, And yeah, my, my tapping into, like I said, a lot of these things, whether it was love or, or pain or divinity. So yeah, I suppose that's really what, what sparked it all. 
that's an awesome story. It's it's always fun and beautiful and engaging to get to hear the pilgrimage or get to hear an inspiration or get to hear, you know, the sort of call to action, you know, or the first threshold guardian, you know, whatever, whatever you want to put there is like, it's so interesting to me and it really paints a beautiful background for the book to, to, to see on there. It, it brings me to this other question. Sometimes authors talk about their work is energizing. Sometimes they say exhausting. Sometimes it's both. Have you found your work to be energizing or exhausting or what, what was your take on that? Yeah, totally. Um, I think it's energizing, but only because like I haven't like, and this is kind of the, the intro, the foreword. It's like, I've really made a point of it not to make it like a job or a chore or anything like that, because I like, I don't write poems that often, like maybe one a week or something. Um, or like I told you on the last podcast, if I leave one on receipt paper for a waiter or waitress, yeah. um, you know, maybe I do that then. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's been important for me to not force it, um, to just like when the time feels right, when I'm inspired um, to, open up my notes app, that's where I write them. And I'll just write the word poem as like a standing title and then I'll write the poem and then I'll figure out what the title is and then I'll, I'll attach it. But anyway, you know, I mean, I never considered myself a poet. I mean, I guess it's fair for me to call myself one at this point, um, but I'm not like a professional poet, you know, like it's not what I spend my life doing. Um, it's been this other thing for me, which I think is also, um, like you were alluding to maybe a sort of flowering or awakening into yeah. something else, like, um, a way of tapping into this artistic side of myself. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I've kind of made a point and I don't know whether this is right or wrong to, to not make it exhausting to keep that fire alive in me and to do it when I'm inspired. Um, yeah. and I think that's like the best headspace to be in to write a poem to to not feel forced but to just feel like the idea is starting to bubble beneath the surface and then writing it so yeah so for that reason it's definitely brought me energy but i could see if i was like writing like an actual like you know autobiography <laughs> or something uh how it could feel exhausting i've certainly felt that way working on my scientific papers mm -hmm. you know i really gotta motivate myself and yeah and pick myself up by my bootstraps to get that those done because i'm just not inspired you know like i, I i'm good at it in some ways bad in others i guess but uh you know it's it's just such a different energy um which i feel so much more yeah like inspired by creative writing and poetry um than some of that uh more like let me yeah let me sit down and hold myself really accountable and just get this done which is also probably a sign i'm thinking that like maybe that's not where i meant to go with my writing you know if it's such a chore and such a drag mm -hmm. anyway yeah, no, it's a great point. It, it 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 begs the question of maybe that's why there's so many things wrong, whether it's in anything, whether it's in your daily life or whether it's in science or whether it's in different types of testing for different types of substances. It's so much of it is a chore. And there's when, when something is so difficult and a chore, there's always that temptation to try to make it a little easier, whether that's cheating, whether it's, hey, I'm going to throw a few mm -hmm. bucks over here, you know what I mm -hmm. mean? And, and then that sort of corruption sets in, and, and it, it, it does make things seem to be, I guess, corrosive in a weird sort of way. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I guess I let – me, let me throw this one at you and see okay. what you think. Is – that – when you write – is there some sort of imagery that you see or that you think of, or how is, how is imagery? Is there a recipe? Is there like imagery mood and message or is there some sort of recipe that you're inspired by or that you follow? Is there the Cole Butler cookbook of writing that someone could look <laughs> at and want to, I want to look at or what goes through your mind when you're writing? 
Yeah, I, I, again, I think it depends on the type of writing. Um, probably the poetry incorporates right. more imagery um, than some of the other stuff. You know, one thing that's always stuck out to me that Jordan Peterson has said is that some people think in images and some people mm. think in words. And I think in words. <laughs> it's nonstop um, kind of stream of consciousness. Right. Like I'm always right it's words it's just it is um and i you know i my grandpa is an artist um and he actually he designed the cover for this book which you can see beautiful here. beautiful <laughs> well done yeah yeah and he um you know he's raised in an even smaller town than me like a logging and meth town i could probably say <laughs> called Gurdon, arkansas of about 800 people um, and he worked on the railroad growing up and mm. he started doing train graffiti back in the seventies yeah. and, uh, and mail art. So like kind of train graffiti and mail art have been two kind of critical things that he's done. And he's real kind of old school in that way. He's almost 80 now. His name is Buzz Blur, um, or Colossus of Rhodes, R-O-A-D-S is what he goes by. And his professional Instagram page has like 20,000 followers and in like the kind of weird niche uh, folk art scene. Um, he's kind of considered a hero along with guys like Bozo Texino because he's been taken all over the world by, by his art. And so, um, you know, anyway, that's all to say that I think his, um, his work has always made like a lifelong impression on me. And, you know, my dad went to art school, even though he works with computers mainly now, but, um, you know, I, I think I've kind of had that aesthetic appreciation, um, maybe like genetically in life baked into me. So I've always had like a certain taste, a certain flair that gets manifested in multiple different ways, just kind of like, I don't know, I've been into fashion, I've written graffiti for myself, I've been into modifying cars, and I've always had a certain kind of taste um, that I that I try to, to create. Um, and so I think that that uh, plays a role in how I put together, you know, these poems, um, and also just how I think, and also, you know, my grandpa, uh, Buzz Blur, his writing is, it's just crazy. I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's beautiful. It's like distorted. It's like, so like outside of the realm of like, it's like almost, it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. He has this kind of world that he lives in called Surreal Bill. Surreal Bill. <laughs> um, and so he was inspired by Dadaism, by like Jack Kerouac, things like that. Um, and so he has this real crazy um, sort of style uh, of writing that's been really inspiring to me also. And anyway, um, yeah, as far as like imagery and text goes, I think, you know, it's almost like a vibe <laughs> that I that I tap into. Um, uh, for example, my poem, Aspen Unknowing. I'll see if I can yeah. pull it up here. Um, but anyway, um, let me just pull it up so I can, yeah. I can reference it. Um, maybe if you wouldn't mind, you can give a taste. Maybe you can give us a little sample. Sure. Yeah, let me put it up here. Sure. Now it's in the divinity section. My control F is not doing its job, maybe because it's a PDF. Uh, okay. This one definitely comes to mind in terms of uh, imagery. Okay, here we go. Aspen unknowing. Red pine feathers fall from the walls. Blue energy drips from the waterfalls. Sunlight beams into the open pores. Healing replaces the old open sores. Tying up the unlaced shoes, untying the ends of the grooves. Total blackness meets my ends. How lovely to have one friend. Odd in my eternal purpose, windows close the open curtains. Frequency bands unravel with time. 
and resonate with recurrent chimes. Windfall into the new arenas, breaking down, howling with hyenas. Lots and lots and lots of patterns, crying into the darkest caverns. Where will we find the eternal stone? Can we unlock the known unknown? Kiss me, baby, on the forehead. Rip open my insides when I'm dead. Formlessness takes an unknown shape, finding my final resting place. So, yeah, that one's pretty intense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it kind of, I guess, you know, that's the kind of energy, you know, that I maybe associate with, you know, my grandpa. And it's just kind of like you go from this like weird, like, okay, waterfalls, like trees, like cool, to like kiss me, to like rip me open. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but with this, there's like this churning up, yeah, a vibe or an emotion or something that I'm like capturing. So, you know, I, I don't know exactly. Like, I, I, I can't say that like a clear image pops up in my head when I'm writing. It's more just like, as I'm writing, I'm like, oh, like this thing, it just kind of like pops up like hyenas, like waterfalls aspen trees like these things i i'm kind of tapping into but i'm using the words to to put i guess form to some of that and then also these more intense emotions you know i and like things that like don't quite make sense but make sense but you know anyway i i think the poem in some sense speaks for itself it's hard to like talk about it in a way that makes sense because part of it is that it doesn't make sense um, yeah it i wonder it makes me wonder sometimes you know when you create something and then you put it out for people to to partake in or consume or read sometimes the feedback you get from people opens up another dimension for you to see the very thing that you've written. And you're like, oh, well, you thought it like that? I never thought about it like that, but maybe it is. And in mm -hmm. that idea, I'm wondering, is there some place, like let's say people buy your book and they want to reach out to you because they want to tell you what they thought about that poem or how it inspired them. Is there a way for people to interact with you? Like once they buy your book, if they were like, you know, Cole, the line about kissing the baby and then ripping me open, that made me think of kissing my daughter on the forehead and then having a nightmare. Or, you know, is there a place where, let's say someone buys your book, can they can they reach out to you to talk about your book? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would love that. I mean, yeah, I guess I'll say the book, like, <laughs> I don't plan to make any money on it. Um, you know, I've only had to invest about $100 in some of my time into creating it um which is awesome um but you know i had this option like how much money do you want to make on the book um and i you know i said okay like well let me see here you know one of the decisions i made was paperback or hardback and i said god the paperback is half the price it's like 12 dollars for a paperback 25 for a hardback but i just wanted that hardcover and like yeah. the thing about it is yeah. that I just, this is, yeah, this, this is almost just to have something tangible, you know, to put it out there. Um, my goal is not to sell copies really. I, I definitely would love and appreciate if people cared about this, um, <laughs> Like that would feel great. Um, but, you know, yeah, it gave me the option. How much do you want to make on this? I said, okay, $1. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so it spits out a price. A minimum, if I made $0, it was $22.94, I think, was how much it would cost. And now it's going to cost uh, $25 just to print it. Um, and if you buy it directly from the bookstore uh, that I published it on, lulu.com, I think I make $10.00. Um, just because it's coming direct from that. And then if it's through like Amazon or something, whenever that rolls out, um, I, that, I think that's when I make like $1. <laughs> anyway, so um, I, I bring that up because, yeah, like I, I'm doing this because I find it interesting, like not to make money right. or anything. Um, so I would love if people you know, were able to read it, were able to interact with me, were able to give me their thoughts. 
Um, and so, yeah, so LinkedIn or like my email is probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. My website is lionheartwellness.net. And my uh, email for that is colionheart at gmail.com. So um, totally. And, and I think actually my website and maybe my email is inside the book. Right. Um, so, or even you can mail me, I put, you know, an address in there. You can mail me something. That'd be cool. <laughs> um, and yeah, I guess just, you know, more broadly, I think that when people resonate with something, it's like, oh yeah, like I thought that too, maybe I didn't have the words, but like yeah. when you use your words, that like makes me think about something that I've also thought about. And so, you know, in a weird way, I think these poems are somewhat self selfish because it's just like me and what I wrote, I didn't write them for somebody else to be like, oh, true. Um, it's just what I had in mind. And so, you know, I think it's out of my control once it's out there to decide how other people are going to react, um, what that's going to bring up for people, um, how that lands on somebody, maybe how it lands isn't what I had in mind. Um, again, I didn't design it with an audience in mind. It was just kind of personal, but, um, you know, if, if that resonates in some way or is interpreted in some way or somebody's inspired, um, or moved or whatever, um, yeah, please reach out. And, you know, it's the same thing with my newsletter. I recently right. started a newsletter called the psychedelic paradigm shift. And I've written two editions now and hoping to be on a weekly schedule. And, you know, at the end of those, I'm like, this isn't about just me, you know, I can't change the entire paradigm of how we operate in the West um, on my own. I want it to be <laughs> A community-based thing and I want people to be inspired but also to tell me what they think and how you know um, how they view this problem um, and so I appreciate people reaching out and being like yeah like I resonated with that like um, or I think this about it or like how do we change it like things like that so totally like I'm I'm a super open book uh, I'm available so if you have thoughts um, please share them it reminds me, uh, sometimes, you know, as parents, as brothers, as sisters, as husbands and wives, as family, as friends, it's really difficult sometimes to make time when you're tired. And uh, sometimes when I come home from work, like I'm totally exhausted and my, my daughter comes to the door, she's like, Daddy, and you get energized. But there's this game that her and I play because we, I, I, I often don't have much time before she goes to bed. But there's a simple game that we play sometimes and it reminds me of the idea of people interacting with you. And the game is this, you just take a piece of paper and I'll draw a line and then I'll push the paper to her and then she'll draw another line and then she'll push it back to me. And pretty soon we've built like this character or an animal or a house, but it's so interesting how just one little action that forces an interaction and then it boomerangs back and then all of a sudden you've created this thing. And, and I think about that when I was reading some of your poetry, like, wow, what a beautiful way to send something out into the world. And then I think it's on everybody else to boomerang it back. And, you know, whether it's to you or someone loans a loans the idea or the story to a friend, and then it just goes around. And I, I just think when you send stuff out like that, it's a great way to think about it coming back to you. Or maybe it's an interactive game of you give something, they give it back to you. And I, I, I just mm -hmm. think that would be a cool thing for, and I, I really love talking to people who put stuff out there and, and can have it boom back to them. So that's why I kind of brought that whole thing up. As far as the newsletter, is there a, uh, is that on Substack or? It's on LinkedIn. You know, oh, okay. I do, you know, I like chat GPT. Me and chat GPT are friends. We, we <laughs> hang out, we bounce ideas off yeah. one another. Um, and the idea of a newsletter had, um, you know, floated around in my head, but I'm like, oh, a lot of the time in newsletter, like, I don't know if people really read them. Um, and I was just trying to think about other platforms for writing. Um, and so chat GPT and I had a nice long conversation and 
bounced some ideas around and I told chat GPT, you know, what I thought and what I was good at and what I like to do. And chat GPT gave me some ideas and out of that came a newsletter and they shifted some things around and said, okay, I'll write this. Um, and it also gave me some platforms that I could write a newsletter on. Um, and anyway, you know, I, I don't want to be like, so like, um, siloed on LinkedIn. I'm trying to kind of expand my presence, but, um, I found out that you can publish your newsletter on LinkedIn also. So it's, it's yeah. on there right now. I don't, I don't know if you're not on LinkedIn, if you can subscribe, I hope so. I saw Randall Hansen's newsletter came to my inbox this morning. So I don't know if mine is like popping up in people's email inbox either, but, um, but yeah, right now it's on LinkedIn, but maybe I'll explore other avenues. But since the first, like the first edition got this overwhelming praise, um, I was really kind of shocked. I, I have 850 subscribers to it already. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Um, and like 30 people interacted with it. And I got all these comments. The executive director of MindMed, who's a company that I work for, um, reached out to compliment my newsletter i'm like holy crap like i work on your study he's <laughs> like oh cool and so anyway just mind-blowing um but and, he, and i published a second edition that didn't quite get as as much um attention or or feedback but i guess that's part of the process but sure. anyway yeah I, I need to explore how to how to expand it or, or get it to people um, outside of just LinkedIn. But right now it's just on LinkedIn. Yeah. I, I saw Randall's come in, but I haven't seen yours. Didn't come into my inbox either. I wonder if there's some sort of glitch there or it didn't get distributed for some reason. Yeah. I think maybe it just came up in people's notifications or something. I'll, I'll look into it. I published a second edition on Saturday. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Well, it's cool. I'm, I'm super excited to, to talk to you and I I love the way in which you see the world and the psychedelic perspective and the idea that unites us as what more unites us than love, pain, and divinity. And I'm excited to see where it goes. But before I let you go, what what do you have coming up? Where can people find you? I know we talked about the newsletter a bit, but I think you have other platforms people can find you. And what are you excited about? Yeah. LinkedIn is always like that's where my primary presence has unfolded, I guess. Um, Lionheartwellness.net is the website um, with my contact information as well. Um, I now have an Instagram. I'm trying to keep up with that. Um, I don't as much. It's Lionheart Wellness Colorado. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm slowly trying to add on the, these different platforms. Um, mm -hmm. So those are the main ways uh, to, to get a hold of me. And yeah, right now, um, you know, I'm writing a few more poems here and there. Um, our LSD study has really taken off. So I've really just kind of become like swamped and engrossed in that, which is is great um and you know uh, trying to develop out the newsletter trying to kind of like figure out you know my identity in this world in this space i don't think there's a clear you know like i, I realize that all the little check boxes of careers and life paths <laughs> that society handed me when i was born yep. um that i don't quite fit into any of those boxes and so i'm trying to figure out um you know, how to build my own box, I guess. Um, and more to come on that. But, um, you know, and that's, I guess that's kind of the, the extension of Lionheart Wellness. Um, I graduate with my master's degree in two months, which um, after a few summer courses, I can start doing therapy independently, which is exciting. Um, and yeah, what am I excited about? Um, my baby daughter. So that's, that's just, that's, that trumps everything else. Um, I think really. Um, and I'm just, yeah, just trying to figure out how to live, how to, you know, provide for my family, uh, mm -hmm. for myself, how to, you know, take who I am and live and, you know, um, make sure everybody eats and has a nice life. So, yeah, that's what's going on. I'm so excited for you. You're, it's inspiring. You know, I, I, I wish I was more like you when I was 27. And I, <laughs> I think that, 
Though you know what? I just thought of this one question. I need to run a low on time, but when okay. do you think in the future, as someone who has worked around clinical trials, would it be possible to measure the efficacy? I think that's the right word for adding poetry into therapy. Would it would it be possible to measure that? You think in some sort of way? Like if if, if after every session you would I don't know how you would structure it, but could you could that fit into a clinical trial somewhere and be measured? Yeah, uh, I think people use poetry as a tool for integration, um, you know, along with art and movement and dance, meditation. Yeah, I think, you know, um, one thing that's been really cool to hear about is like poetry workshops. Mm -hmm. I think some people need a little bit of handholding to really tap into that energy because they're a little bit nervous. Like, I'm not a poet. I don't understand. I I always encourage people like just write it like just yeah. it doesn't have to rhyme whatever like just do it um, and I think it's a really cool and unique and different way to tap into some different energy um, so yeah I mean I, I I don't think there's any way to analyze the poems but maybe like what role did poetry right. serve in your processing and we have a long ways to go in understanding yeah like um what do we need to do? What's the right process of integrating? And a lot of, you know, the scientific approach is these really, you know, black and white kind of, did your symptoms go down? Like, do all your lab tests look good? Like, how's your heart functioning? How's your blood pressure? Um, and did your anxiety go down? Um, you know, are you having problematic sexual function that went away? Um, but, you know, yeah, I, I hope down the road, you know, we can start to think about like, well, what do we need to do from a clinical perspective mm-hmm. and, you know, what's helpful. And I think what excites me about the clinical space um, outside of just research and now in Colorado being able to use psilocybin therapeutically um, is that there's not going to be as many rules. And so, you know, the clinical trials are hard because there's so many rules, so much protocol, so much red tape. Um, But when you're just working clinically, you know, you can just do what you want. You can say like, hey, write a poem. Like, and I don't have to ask, you know, (laughs) I I don't have to give you a questionnaire. Right. Just say like, okay, well, how was that for you? Like, what? read it back to me. What does that bring up for you? Um, and maybe that's just another thread and, you know, tying together their experience um, and making sense of it. And in that sense, you know, I don't really care <laughs> about yeah. yep. the science uh, behind it, but, you know, also scientific validation to bolster, you know, this mysterious thing is also awesome. We've been able to do that with psychedelics they're mysterious. We don't understand them, but we can show that they work. Um, and I think poetry is like that too. Yeah, that's really well said. That's awesome. Cole, the book is called Love, Pain, and Divinity. It's available on Lulu. The The link to that will be in the show notes. Check out the newsletter. Check them out on LinkedIn. Uh, reach out to them on Lionheart Wellness. The last time we spoke, you were you were uh, had like a 10-minute consultation you were doing for people. Is that still available for people? yeah um yeah i do 15 minute phone calls with people um sometimes they hold over i have limited hours right now with everything that's going on but uh but yeah i i'm happy to talk with people (laughs) if those hours don't work reach out um i love just connecting with people even if it goes nowhere so yeah you can you can schedule that on my website or reach out um and i'm happy to share my ideas with you or just have a conversation that's awesome all right cole butler thank you so much for being here i hope you have a tremendous day say uh hello to your lovely partner and um, i'm so excited for your for your baby and the book and everything that's going on for you man congratulations and thank you for being here today man i really appreciate it Cool, man. Thanks so much for having me back. It's always, I, I love these conversations. So, <laughs> yeah, me uh, too. So stimulating. So, yep. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we got for today. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. 
Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.